Are you struggling to come up with good content marketing ideas? Trying to figure this whole content marketing thing out? Not sure where to start? My guest today is Melanie Diesel, and she has a super simple framework for helping anyone come up with a limitless supply of content ideas. Even better, she helps you pick the right ones based on your message, your strengths as a communicator, and the publishing mediums available to you. Her experience as a journalist turned brand storyteller took her from Huffington Post to the New York Times to Time Inc., where she developed the branded content programs for these major publishers. Now she coaches brands, marketers, and startups on how to create better content marketing ideas. But today, she's sharing her framework with us so we can create better brand stories to connect with our customers. Please welcome Melanie Diesel. podcast by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRumor.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. Hey, Melanie, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So the reason why I wanted to have you on this show is because I heard you speak at, uh, I keep wanting to say South by Southwest, Social Media <laughs> Marketing World in 2019, and I really liked your session because it it spoke to me the way I like to be spoken to when I want to learn something, which it, it walks you through step by step of how to create a marketing strategy with like like a, a graph, like a, a physical, visual element to it that... It, it, it works for everybody, right? Whether you're like, you learn by hearing or you learn by seeing. Yep. Your session did a really good job of just laying it out there in the most, you know, something that could be really a stumbling block for a lot of people in a really easy to understand format. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. That that was the goal, right? Is to try to put the whole process into some sort of visual framework that could help people remember it, help them put it into action. Because um, I think sometimes that's one of the hardest things. We learn so many tips and tricks you can almost get overwhelmed and, you know, trying to turn it into action and not just, you know, taking good notes or listening carefully. Sometimes it's hard. So I'm hoping that having a, a visual to go along with it, having a, a framework, a grid, like you talked about, uh, makes it a little easier for people to put into practice. Yes. And so I know why you wanted to come on the show, because you have a book coming out that does exactly that. It's called The Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas. And I guess the reason why you have this coming out is because you do a lot of speaking and coaching and corporate work on content marketing strategy. But if you want to give people the quick elevator pitch on you and your services, what would that be? Yeah, absolutely. So StoryFuel is a company designed to help other people tell better stories. We mostly work with marketers uh, and you know individuals on marketing teams at companies, but we also work with creators too, You know, people like authors or influencers who have their own brand to build. And basically what we do is we teach the best practices we all learned in the world of journalism, and we teach those to folks who are now in marketing. So trying to help you find more sources for your stories, come up with better story ideas, learn to tell your stories through different formats and different angles, uh, really just trying to help people love storytelling as much as we do. And we do that in lots of different ways through consulting, 
through keynotes and, and corporate workshops and trainings. And then we also have masterminds and some coaching opportunities as well. And our new our new product is the big book. So uh, the content field framework, which is based on that exact talk that you were just uh, that you actually got to see first. Cool. And you will be just to plug my own thing. You'll be speaking on this at Peak Content Summit, which is my seminar coming up in March 2020 Absolutely. as well. So I'm really looking forward to seeing not just you again, but seeing what's <laughs> what you've added to it, what kind of new intel you have from what you showed a year ago. So I think, you know, I'm coming at this from the publisher side, somebody who has an advertising background from years ago, but now is a digital publisher and working with a lot of brands who think they want content marketing. They think, quote unquote, they know they need to do some content marketing, but that's kind of the extent of it. They really, that, that's where it stops, right? Like, I need this, but I don't even know where to begin. Um, where do you typically start with somebody who comes to you and says something like that? Well, I think the first question I always want to ask people is really why they think they need content, right? Because I think content has become a bit of a buzzword. I think we're a little bit through that phase where it's past that status, but I know sometimes people feel like, oh, this is something I have to be doing, right? And maybe they haven't figured out quite how it could align with their broader business goals. So before we ever talk about the how or the tactics or anything, I wanna better understand what your business goals are outside of content so we could figure out the way content may or may not fit into that strategy. So once we're clear on what it is that they're trying to do, whether that's, you know, grow an audience or sell products or increase my web traffic, you know, whatever those sort of bigger business goals are, then we can have a more strategic and tactical conversation about how content might, you know, contribute to that overall strategy and, and align with some of the other things you may be trying to do to achieve that goal too. But I think, yeah, the, the first step is figuring out what is it that content can actually do for you to make sure that it's not just something you're doing to check a box or taking resources away from some other initiative, but actually is aligned with your bigger and more long-term business goals. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. I like that because otherwise I, I was thinking past that already. <laughs> and a lot of them do, but I, I guess for me, it's easy when brands come to us, it's, it's usually they want to position themselves as like a thought leader in a particular sub, uh, subject matter, rather what, like for bikes, right. whether it's suspension or tires or something else and stuff. And they want to be seen as, you know, the leader in that category so that the next time somebody needs a new set of tires for their mountain bike or whatever, they automatically think of brand X. Mm. And, you know, and so we, I usually start on the tactical side of it of, okay, well, how are we going to, put you in that position. But yeah, I guess the brand has to know ahead of time, hey, we <laughs> want to create a leadership authority right. mindset. Um, well, that's good. If they already know that they want to be thought leaders, that that makes it a lot easier because then we can focus our efforts on the kind of content and the, the type of content that's going to really help do that. So if that's the kind of thing that people are looking to do, one of the things I always suggest is figure out how you can teach your audience something. Right. So if, if your goal is to show how smart you are, it is way better to show your audience than to tell them. Right. Mm -hmm. Rather than say, I'm so smart, I'm the expert in suspensions or the experts in some other parts. Actually, just create content that teaches your audience about those subjects so that they on their own come to see you as very knowledgeable on those subjects. So, you know, content that educates your audience, even if it seems basic to you, you're the expert. You know, it may not be so basic and, and obvious to your audience. And creating that kind of content where you're teaching the audience could be, you know, walking them through a process or giving them definitions of key terms, diagrams of, you know, things 
that uh, that they may not fully understand how it operates, or even just walking them through common mistakes, misconceptions, myths about that particular topic is a great way for you to demonstrate that you really know your stuff and help you come to be seen as an expert. Yes, very good answer. I like that a lot, and that's <laughs> uh, that's really what we're trying to do in a roundabout way. But it's it's funny, man. It's like it's almost like when banner ads first were coming up and like people slowly kind of realize like oh yeah hey like these make sense i can get reporting on this whereas with print i can't and stuff now it's kind of the shift right like everybody understands banners and they're trying to figure out this content thing and you explain it like well this is what you can do with it and then they're like okay but how and then it's like there's a lot of education going on right now for people so again that's why well, i'm super excited to have you on um Okay, so I want to give see if you can give a different example. We have the thought leadership one. I think one thing every brand wants to do is sell more. So if somebody's focus is yeah. short-term sales growth, what's what's your tactic for that? The, the first thing I always tell people is that in most cases, not every case, but in most cases, content is not necessarily the answer to your short-term sales goal. Now, there are definitely exceptions, but... In many cases, if you have a short-term sales goal that you're trying to fulfill, you probably want to focus on some of the more direct calls to action, right? Where you're, whether that's you know, paid search ads or you know, direct mail if you have that ability. Some of those things that really allow you to make a, a request, a call to action to your audience right at the upfront. Oftentimes, content works better when the call to action is buried a little bit, it's a little further down, and that may not, like I said, may not align with your primary goal of of immediate near-term sales. Um, but there are some exceptions, so. You know, for example, if you're trying to create sales of a product that people are already familiar with, then it should be easy enough for you to create support content about that product or that service, uh, whether that's, you know, interviewing people who make that product, you know, your, your employees, whether it's getting, you know, I'm trying to think of a, maybe, can you give me a, a specific product that, that might help me come up with some <laughs> examples here, just as a sample. Uh, yeah, no, I'm blanking. Um, well, so for instance, I just there's a new mountain bike suspension fork coming out very soon that I I have one in early and testing and stuff. So like we'll have a little bit of content around that with like a first look, first review type thing. There you go. Okay, so if you have a product like that that you want to test, then one thing that works really well, and you guys have seen this on YouTube all the time, is unboxing type videos. So if it's a brand new product, you do some sort of reveal, right? You're showing it to the audience for the first time. You can walk them through it. That's actually a really natural reaction to receiving a new product is to open it up and take a look at what it's all about. And that would be product-related content, but not directly saying, hey, buy this, right? Again, you're showing the audience, not telling them. You're showing them how much you like it and all of its cool features as you open it for the first time or use it for the first time and hopefully the audience then comes to a conclusion that that's something they want to have that same experience and they make a purchase too another thing you can do is any sort of like review or ranking if that's what's natural for you in your platform um, so if you got this new product um, you might create just a written review of some kind or, or again a video if it fits naturally with your your formats of choice to, to show what are your actual thoughts after having used it. So not unboxing it when you see it for the first time and you give your first reaction, but a more in-depth piece that's sharing this is what I, I think about it now that I've used it, now that I've tried it out, here's my you know my sort of uncensored, unfiltered thoughts on on how this product you know ranks and why you might like to buy one yourself. You could make a recommendation of some kind. And in that case, if you truly enjoyed the product, it truly works how you wanted it, um, you know, being able to say, I really recommend this product is a way to put that direct call to action to make some short-term sales. Right on. I guess it, as long as the editor is comfortable with that, 
because it right. does. <laughs> that could come across as a little salesy. Yeah, um, of course. And I think it's different for every brand, right? If you're if you are a platform or a, a publication that routinely writes reviews, then that might feel totally natural. If you're not a publication that makes recommendations and suggests buying products, then that would feel really off base for your audience and for your editorial staff, I'm sure. Yeah, I think that's where the brand has to understand who the different media are within their space because everybody's every media outlet has its own personality, every brand has their own and being able to tailor your message or, or even, and this is where it gets a little tricky, I think, for somebody who's still figuring this out is knowing what type of content pitch to go to a, a media outlet with is, yeah. um, you know, you don't want to ask somebody to do something they're not comfortable with. It's true. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're on the brand side and you're trying to create these sort of conversations and partnerships with different media companies, then your responsibility, and I, I always recommend this exercise, is to take a look at the content on that media publications platform. Take a look at you know what they're posting, what they're sharing, and really think how can I fit into this environment? You know, if you don't see them doing any reviews, then if you reach out and ask for a review, you're gonna look pretty foolish, and they're gonna know, man, this person really doesn't know our audience. They don't know what we're about. This feels like a general pitch, right? And that's not gonna go over well. If you can look at their platform and say, hey, I noticed that you've produced a lot of helpful articles that are ranking certain products within a certain price tier. If you're planning on creating something about the best suspensions under X dollars, like you did last year, I wonder if you'd consider our product for inclusion, right? That shows that you you read their platform, you know the type of content they create, and you've thought proactively about how your product and your message might fit into that environment. It may not always be a win. Maybe they're not trying to recreate that particular piece of content, but it shows them that this is a personalized pitch, that you've really spent some time trying to figure out how you may be able to add value to their audience. And I think that goes a long way toward appealing to the person who's making the decisions right on okay so i want to when you're starting with somebody you've gotten past the the why am i doing this type thing what are my goals type thing i guess the next step would be brainstorming actual content ideas and i know brainstorming can be like a really scary blank sheet of paper <laughs> and again it's like if you don't even know where to start. Like, what's the first step? Do you just walk them through, hey, like, here's all the different platforms, or we could do written, yeah. we could do video, we could do blank. What's How do you get somebody rolling? So one of the things I do now is, is actually use the framework that I shared with you when you saw me speak at that conference. So um, I think that the key thing to understand about content ideas is just like you said, oftentimes we're sitting down to like a blank whiteboard or a blank piece of paper, and we're just trying to magically summon an entire year's content strategy out of you know the depths of our brain based on who knows what, right? And that's really tough. I think in most parts of our world, whenever we're trying to come up with a lot of something, um, you know, we have a plan and we have a, a, a process to get there. So what I try to do is share my process and you know, it's not always the perfect process for everyone, but in many cases, it at least gives a starting point so that we're not looking at a blank paper anymore. So the, the key here is that every content idea is only two things. It has a focus. What is the content about, right? Is it about people? Is it about history, about a product? What is it about? And then it has a format, which as you said, it could be writing, audio, video. It's the way we bring that story to life. So a focus and a format. What is it about? How do we bring it to life? So once you kind of have that same base understanding, then all you have to do is list out some of the focuses that make sense for you, for your brand, for your products and your message, and then list out the formats that you have at your disposal, writing, infographic, audio, video, live video, whatever those are for you. And then it's just a matter of combining them. So 
that oftentimes gives us a starting point. Instead of looking at a blank paper, we're looking at a list of things we could talk about and a list of ways we could bring those stories to life. And then it becomes mix and match, right? We can see what works for any particular um, any particular initiative, product, event, anything we're trying to promote, any message we're trying to share, we've at least got a starting point to, to start without a blank piece of paper. We've got somewhere to point our, point our thoughts and point our thinking. I like it. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about how you got to this point. So yeah. I'm going to let you expand on this. I'll give the, the quick version. But you started out doing branded content storytelling with Huffington Post and then moved on to become the first editor of branded content at the New York Times. And then a little, a few other media stints before launching StoryFuel to do your own coaching and consulting. Tell me a little bit more about the how those positions operated at HuffPo and New York Times because I feel like those were... Um, I, I think they're the early 20 teens or 2010-ish area, yeah. which is, to me, kind of the early days of digital media really figuring out branded storytelling without it just being a silly advertorial. Yeah, you're totally right. That was the that was the time period. So um, I think in the early days, like you said, you know, in a digital landscape, a lot of what we were familiar with was advertorials in print. So for anyone who can't even remember, you know, reading this stuff in print, basically a brand <laughs> would buy a print ad on a whole page and they just kind of happened to put some words instead of a big picture, right? And it was always being created by the brand or their agency. It was generally extremely branded, right? It was, there was no question that this was definitely not editorial content. It was like really branded, often not very effective. So once we hit digital, we were really trying to figure out what does that brand storytelling look like digitally. And the, the key was this brand storytelling, branded content, you've also heard it called native advertising or sponsored content. The idea was let's try to create something of roughly the same quality and tone of voice as what we do editorially. Not because we wanna trick people, that was not the goal, it was always clearly labeled, but because that's why people came to our website because they wanted this particular type of content. So if we know our audience likes reviews or lists or recipes or in-depth investigations, why don't we make our brand content the same kinds of things? Because we know our audience likes and wants that. So that's really what we were trying to do at HuffPost. That meant we made a lot of blog posts because we had a lot of blogs on HuffPost. We did a lot of brand slideshows uh, because slideshows and, and um, image lists were really big at that point. And we did a little bit of infographic. We hadn't quite gotten into video at the point when I was there yet, although they do it now. So that's what we're really doing is helping brands tell stories in the same kind of ways that we told stories to our audience on the edit side. Uh, same thing at the New York Times. You know, people didn't necessarily come to the New York Times for uh, blog posts or, you know, image slideshows. They were looking for more in-depth reported content. So we tried to teach our brands, look, if you're going to be here, you're going to talk to our audience. This is what we've found works. We try to give them, you know, a lot of sources. We try to create longer, more in-depth content. We try to create multimedia content. So it's not just an article, but an article paired with graphics, paired with video. So we try to teach those same best practices and tell those stories the same way. Um, you mentioned a few other media since I was at Time Incorporated, which owns owned at the time 35 magazines in the U.S. Like People, Time, Entertainment Weekly, Fortune, Money, all those those really big, uh, amazing brands. Um, at the time, I was helping create brand content programs that were in more than one magazine. So trying to find the overlap, for example, between um, you know People and Sports Illustrated. What's a story we could tell in both of those places? It's probably a lifestyle story about an athlete. You know, so trying to figure out where those overlaps were um, for for brand stories in those contexts. 
And I realized basically what I was doing was teaching these brands directly, but only how they could do this on a particular property, right? With one magazine or one website. And I thought, what if I was on my own? I could teach them how to do this anywhere. It didn't have to be limited to just one magazine's website or one newspaper's website, but really teach them, you know, instead of fishing for them in these tiny little ponds, what if I teach them how to fish no matter which body of water they end up in? And so that's really the approach we've taken with Storyfield was to say, let's teach people how to do this no matter where their content is going to live. Right on. And you have, I think, I hope, hopefully, uh, some sort of online coaching thing that people can check out too if they want, right? We do, yeah. So we have uh, the Brand Storytelling Mastermind. We Our next one starts up in May, so that's not for a little bit, but you can get some some information about that. Um, and we also have, you know, individualized coaching. If you need some help with your particular brand, you know, maybe a big consulting thing is not for you, but you, you like a little one-on-one -on -one time, some help to come up with some content ideas. We can certainly help you with that. Um, and there's other resources on our website as well. I think probably the best thing, if you're a, a small company and you're looking to do this in a very lean way, I know many of us are, um, then the book might be the best option for you. It's actually, so it's, it's coming out uh, February 24th and it kind of walks you through the whole process that we're talking about here and that we use with our coaching and consulting. Um, so that's probably the easiest way for you to get that information quickly and hopefully start acting on it in a way that fits your resources, your time and your budget. Right on. All right, I wanna share with you something that I've noticed in the bike industry, and I'm sure it's across any industry in terms of the brands that create content, sometimes really amazing content and the way we deal with it as the publisher. And, and I, I'm asking for, well, I would like to get your input on it once I explain it. But the reason why I'm <laughs> going through this process is because I think, um, you know, publishers are all looking at it from one way. And I think the brands are looking at it from another. And it, this would be really smart for brands to pay attention to, the way we feel about it because they're all pushing this content on us and we all have very different opinions of it. So what I've noticed is there's a lot of bike brands that have way bigger budgets than we ever will as a website to produce just incredible content, you know, from location and equipment to the people that they can get to star in their videos, you know, these top level athletes. Mm -hmm. So they produce this amazing content and they send it out to us with I presume the expectation that we'll just post it on our site. Mm. Well, I look at it as, okay, if I post this and 20 other cycling websites post it, mm -hmm. I'm going to have the same content as everybody else. It's really not going to do me any good from SEO. And it takes time away from me producing original content that would help boost my business. So is there um, anything you do to coach brands on how to, you know, not have to recreate the wheel with every single media outlet, but, you know, take some of that content and sort of tailor it to different outlets. Or have you noticed that uh, that's not a problem? Well, I, I do think that there's a little bit of that where, I mean, if a brand invests a lot of time and money and effort into a big piece of anchor content like that, you know, a big expensive shoot, they want to make the most of it. Um, but that's really coming from their own perspective, right? They're not really thinking about the audience of those particular media publications that they're sending this to. Because in many cases, as you said, they, they just as much as the editors and, and people in charge of these publications don't want content that's the same as everywhere else, it also doesn't really do much for the audience if they're seeing the same content everywhere else, right? It's better for you as a brand if you're 
talking in different ways to different people in different places, right? Um, so one of the things I would recommend is if you're a brand and if you if what you've invested in is a big video, just like what we were talking about here in this example, what you wanna do is break that video down into smaller parts and try to repurpose it in different ways. So maybe you put the video in a few places. Maybe somewhere else you take the transcript of that video, right? You've got the recording. Uh, you can transcribe that recording and you can turn that into some adapted blog posts. Maybe you use some of the content from that transcript or that video to create a number of different blog posts on a similar theme, but not exactly the same, right? Then you can use the audio. Maybe you can distribute that in some sort of way to let people listen to the, the, the video. Um, you can maybe do a behind the scenes using some of the footage that you didn't necessarily use, and that might be interesting to a different part of the audience. And you can use some of the clips to make individual, uh, you know, either shorter video clips for social media distribution. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of ways you could, you, use stills from the video to make an image gallery. I think you're really lucky if the big anchor piece of content you created is video because it's easy to break down into smaller uh, distinct parts that are gonna feel more unique in different places. If you aren't starting with a giant video and you're just trying to get the most bang for your buck, then I really do recommend that you you pick a few targeted locations, a few targeted publications that you wanna partner with, and then you go through and you you really think about how you might create something within your means, you know, within your, your resources, um, that's gonna really appeal to that specific audience. Because I do think that there's a bit of a misconception that if we create one giant piece of content and then distribute it everywhere on earth, we're gonna achieve all of our strategic goals. Like that's not always how it's gonna work. Sometimes having a really in-depth specific you know, hyper-focused conversation in one smaller place may actually yield much better results for what you're trying to achieve. So, you know, don't feel like you have to be everywhere with one piece of content when it may be more strategic for you to be in fewer places with much more targeted content. That's probably going to get you better results. Right. Yeah. And I would encourage the brands to, like you mentioned earlier, reach out to the publishers and talk to them, you know, let, let, let them be involved in the process of creating the content that's going to be specific to their outlet because it's they know their audience better than anyone and um i think you know at least from our perspective we end up with a much better piece of content that actually serves all the purposes it's supposed to you know for us it has to provide value to three people right the reader first and foremost because without them we have no audience and then the brand because they're the one paying for it and then of course us like we need to get paid for the time and effort and for bringing the audience to the table and so when you work with the publisher and the brand together, you end up usually benefiting all three parties. Exactly. I mean, it just it just makes so much sense. And I think what's funny is that when we think about it in terms of like marketing and content strategy, um, we sort of forget lessons that we already know in our real life. You know, um, <laughs> I give the example, like if, if someone was introducing you to their friend, they said, hey, I want you to meet my friend. I think, you know, I think you guys would get along you would probably ask that person questions about themselves because, hey, someone said we would get along, let's talk, let's have a conversation. That's really what we're doing when we're distributing our content. A publication is saying, hey, I think you should meet my audience, I think you'd get along, and you're saying to their audience, I think you should meet this brand, I think you guys would get along. But if we as brands show up and we only talk about ourselves and we never acknowledge the audience, you know, we or we ask a script of questions that we ask every single person, the audience is going to feel that it's not going to feel special to them. And they're not going to want to keep talking to us if they can tell that, you know, it's not custom to them. It doesn't have to do with them, or we just have no interest in what they care about at all. You know, I think 
it, we know this in our sort of interpersonal lives. So we just have to apply the same sort of logic and be good conversational partners, ask good questions, listen to the audience before we reply, you know, really form an actual connection with them through our content. If we do that, just like we do, you know, at a party or a mixer or something, then I think we'll, we'll start to see uh, deeper relationships being formed with the audience. Yeah. I love it. Nobody likes that person that as soon as you, uh, start talking, they just talk over you or they ask a question oh. and immediately start talking over you as you're trying to answer because you can tell all they care about you. Exactly. Right. And, <laughs> and everyone wants to be, I mean, we all want to be heard and we want to be listened to. And that's what our audience is feeling too. So we can give them that wonderful gift of saying, Hey, we know what you're looking for. You know, we're trying to help. We're providing value. Um, I mean, that's, that's what all relationships are based on is some sort of exchange of value in some way, right? Like I care about what you care about. We share interests. I listen, I help. Um, you know, that's, those are, those are the characteristics we're looking for, you know, in our content experiences as much as like our partners and friends. Right on. Okay. I've got one more big question for you and then we'll start yeah. wrapping up a little bit. Talk about your book for a second. The, the different formats, you know, you've got video, you've got written, and I think even written can be broken down a lot into like stuff for super short, like Twitter mm -hmm. versus like Instagram and Facebook versus like blog posts. There's, there's a lot of stuff out there and even just images, right? Like if you're just trying yeah. to go meme style, um, do you find that certain formats work better for certain things? Mm. Yeah. So one of the things I talk about is that everyone has what I would call like a first content language, right? There's a type of content for us as creators that we like to create in, you know? So I got to ask you like, Tyler, what, for you, do you feel like you, you write really easily or creating video is natural for you? Like you're really likely to hop on live video. Like what's the, the way you like to put out content into the world most easily? Uh, writing is super easy. I'm, yeah. I really like video. It's the, the process of setting up the cameras and all that stuff that tends to be a little <sighs> bit of a roadblock for me. Yeah. The live stuff, I, I prefer to really think through mm. what I'm going to present more so than live. Okay. So I'm very similar. Like for me, I would much rather write 10 blog posts than have to do the logistics of setting up one video. So we're very similar in that way. And I think every one of us who's, who's trying to create content has one of those formats that we love to create. Maybe you podcast, like there's no tomorrow. You could jump on a podcast and talk for hours. So audio might be your first language. Maybe you like to be off the cuff. And so hopping on Instagram live or something is like, that gives you, that gives you fire. So figure out the way you like to put content out. And then think about the same thing, but for your audience, what's the way they like to consume content. If you are an avid blog writer, like you and me, Tyler, we're putting out blogs all day long. We're writing blogs every day, but our audience wants to listen to podcasts. We're going to have a strategic mismatch, right? We're speaking in a language our audience may not understand. So you want to figure out those two things. Like what, how do I create content? What's the language I want to create my content in the format I want to use. And then how does that align with the way my audience may like to receive content? Hopefully we could find some sort of match. There's something that we like to create in that they like to listen to or, or consume. If not, we may need to do a little bit of adjustment or a little education to get those things aligned. But I think that once you know that that really helps you choose, which is going to be best for any given scenario. Cause again, the audience's needs and what they want to consume should be first. But yeah, I mean, I think to your point, writing works really well and that it's quick and easy to produce compared to many of the other formats. So that's a perk. If you're trying to create something quickly, writing may be a good way to go. Infographics are really great. If you have something complex that you want to break down and, and make it more approachable, you know, explain it a little easier, especially if your audience are visual learners and that's how they like to consume. Um, I think audio is awesome. If your audience likes to take things on the go, I think for a cycling audience, I don't know how many people listen to podcasts while they cycle, but you know, while we're in commute is a, is a 
top time for people to consume audio content. So that may be a consideration for you. And I think video and live video, we know are incredibly engaging and, you know, the algorithmic overlords that we are all subject <laughs> to um, love when we serve them up video. So that's something to consider too. If you're looking to get traction on social media, um, you know, video content tends to perform pretty well there because it's, it's promoted and favored by algorithms. Um, but there are honestly, there are so many ways beyond even these that we could be creating content for our audience. You know, we could be making maps, we could be creating timelines, we could be creating quizzes, you know, you can make a course, you could do virtual reality. I mean, there's almost endless ways that you could communicate stories and messages to your audience. So I would just say it's a matter of trying to figure out what do I like to create? What am I I'm most skilled at creating? What does my audience like to consume? You know, what's their preferred way of getting stories? And then just trying to figure out if there's a there's an alignment between those things or if we should adjust and try to find, you know, another way that, that we can meet those needs for our audience. All right. And you forgot top 10 lists. Everybody loves listicles, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you could do, I mean, you could do an image list. You could do a, you know, a written list of top 10. I mean, there's a lot of ways you could do, you could do a top 10 list in almost any format. That's what I would call curation focused content. So you're focused on finding, you know, different items or resources from elsewhere and curating them, you know, with some sort of shared characteristic among them. And then you could present that in any format you want. <laughs> okay. I just thought of one more question before we wrap up. Yeah. The, shoot. Uh, yeah, the the audience for this podcast tends to be startups, you know, founders, people who are just kind of getting something off the ground or still a relatively small team. Do you take a different approach working with, you know, solopreneurs or, you know, really small companies versus larger companies that have the resources for like a full content production team? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think we have to acknowledge the limitations of our resources, right? That that's just a fact of life. Um I I always try to be as transparent as I can and say that like, even if you were to, if you were to audit all of my content, I can't as an individual, as a small team, make everything that I, that I recommend. Right. So, you know, my YouTube isn't updated weekly, like some of these amazing YouTubers, I can't keep up with that. I don't have my own podcast cause it's not in my wheelhouse to create that routinely. So, you know, it's, I think it, it's important to understand and acknowledge the limitations on your time, on your budget, on your other resources. If you are limited, what I would really recommend is figuring out, again, what's going to work for you? What can you realistically do consistently? Those two things, realistically and consistently. That's what you've got to figure out. There are plenty of people who focus on one particular platform or one particular type of content and do that so incredibly well that no one faults them for not being elsewhere. You know, you think about in marketing, we hear a lot about YouTubers, right? These influencers who are influential on YouTube, the articles are not critiquing them for not also being big on Instagram, right? They've found their niche, they've gone deep and they've provided really rich content in one format. They may have a following elsewhere because people find them, but they're really focusing their efforts in one place. And it's okay for you to do that if that's all you have the resources to do right now. You just want to be strategic about that choice. If you choose Instagram because it's fun for you and your audience isn't there, then you're going to be sinking a lot of time and money into something that may not yield returns. You know, the very first thing we talked about, aligning with your bigger uh, company and, and strategic business goals to make sure content is working for you. So if that means you're only one person, you can only choose a blog to keep active and you don't have time for YouTube, that's fine. Go all in and make it the best dang blog you can make so that your audience really finds a lot of value in it and keeps coming back time and again. Yeah. And that's a really hard thing to do for people in this day and age that think they need to be on every platform. I struggle with that because honestly, I don't really like Twitter and use it that much, <laughs> but I know there's people there. So I'm like, I have this FOMO and stress of not actually doing much of anything on Twitter yeah. and yet 
when I do, it's like it's so sporadic, it's almost pointless. Probably is well, pointless. One of the one of the things you can do too is like there's a there's a way to do minimal investment in some of these places. It's not ideal, of course, but if you need to just keep something active, you know, I do always recommend if you need to I would secure your handles or your usernames with your company in any of these different places. Whenever a new format comes out, it helps to have it. You may not need it now, but you don't want someone else to have it, right? So get those. Add a profile photo, add a description, and maybe put a single post in that particular platform that says, to learn more about us, go here and send them to your primary place so that all of these other platforms can act as a door or a window into your main place of being, right? Send them to, to your home base. Um, so, you know, maybe you just have one tweet or you have one one Facebook post, one LinkedIn post. Um, for now, sending people to where you are. Obviously, that's not ideal. That's not a strategy that's going to create growth on those platforms. It's not a strategy that's going to create engagement on those platforms. But if it allows you to focus your attention in a place where you can create really incredible content, then you can expand to those places as you're able to. It's really better for you to be awesome in one place and minimally viable in a few other places than it is to spread yourself so thin that you're kind of mediocre everywhere. That's not a goal we want to aspire <laughs> to, right? All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. So your new book comes out February 24th. And again, yes. the name is The Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas. And where can people buy that? You can buy it on Amazon. The pre-order link should be live any moment now. I hope by the time this comes out that it'll be live and you'll be able to get it. Um, but if you have any questions or you want more information, you can always just go to storyfuel.co, so storyfuel.co, and we'll have plenty of information about other places you can buy the book, questions, uh, any anything else you may need related to the book, you can definitely contact us there. Awesome, and I'll put links to that stuff in the show notes for this episode as well. Perfect. Great, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, and thanks for letting me share my story. I really like her focus and format starting point and her idea of a content language. Let's face it, we all have our strengths and learning to embrace those and pour fuel, dare I say, content fuel, on them to drive real growth takes guts. But she's right. And she's not the only expert saying exactly that. Double down on the things that work for you and maintain a minimum viable presence elsewhere. For more ideas and links to connect with Melanie, check the show notes at tylerbenedict.com slash podcast and click on this episode. If you want to master content marketing strategy and learn how to create and execute a complete strategy for your company, not to mention come meet and learn from Melanie in person, you can join us both at Peak Content Summit in Asheville, North Carolina. Get the full speaker list and more details at peakcontentsummit.com. Thanks for listening. Here's hoping you're telling better stories and growing your brand. Until next time, keep building. Keep building.